brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy, Editor-in-Chief of Digiday, coming to you live from Key Biscayne, where we're having our Digiday Publishing Summit. And I am joined by Jim Brady, CEO of Spirited Media. Jim, welcome. Glad to be here. So Spirited Media is um, trying to tackle the local news problem in digital media. This is this is a longstanding, longstanding one that uh, would seem like the odds are against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly I've heard that before. I think <laughs> the odds are definitely against you if you decide you're going to do it exactly the same way that everyone has tried to this point, which is to monetize it primarily via display advertising. I think we went into it with the idea that that's not going to work because it requires you to grow audience in a, in, a, in a way that's not natural and may help your business in the short term, but will kind of kill it in the long term because you'll the loyalty you need to succeed in the local market won't exist if you terrorize your users with all the tricks that required that are required to get your page views up that fast. So we just went in from the beginning saying we were going to do events as a primary business model. And I think you have to go, if you're going to go into local these days with all of the failures that are out there, you can't just like look at, we'll just do that same thing they did better than they did it. You have to have, I think, a different idea. So I'm from the Philadelphia area and so you started with Billy Penn. I did. And now you've, you've expanded into Pittsburgh and then you added, um, you added, uh, with Denver through yep. acquisition. Yep. Um, I- explain a little bit what the the errors that you think were made with past attempts to do local. I think a, a few that I can name. One is the, the, the sort of aforementioned focus on uh, advertising as the sole business model. Uh, I think that just requires too much effort. Second, I think it's the the voice. I think you're we're going after a generation that's sort of forty four and under, and they're used to. A lot more voice in there in the in the news sites they consume than the average local newspaper generally provides and even a lot of the local news startups are often people who are going out to cover the same things that the newspaper covered and that's the same tone of the newspaper and i think you need to be more uh, conversational and a little bit more accessible to readers and i think the third um way we're trying to tackle it differently is to take advantage you know everybody talks about what local can't do local can't scale local can't do this it can't do that but you do have an advantage over everybody else in that the large bulk of your consumers are physically within your reach. So events allows you to take these people who live in this city you cover and physically assemble them somewhere. And if you can assemble them in the right way to draw in sponsorships and strong ticket sales, you can make a lot of money doing that. I think the people say all the time, like, events, that's so hard. Like, I think they're thinking of events as like 300 people in a hotel ballroom somewhere, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about... That's what we do. Yeah, right. And, you do, and by the way... <laughs> and you, it is hard, by You the do way. them quite well. Uh, but we do, a lot of the things we do will be in our own office or in bars that we have relationships with where we can just bring a bunch of our, you know, readers down there to have an event around honoring young people making a difference in the city. Uh, yeah, so does that scale, though? I know I, I have to ask the scale question. I'm sorry yeah, all the time. Um, I mean, does like pizza parties and stuff scale into supporting quality journalism? Well, probably not pizza parties. That's probably a little too a little <laughs> lower rent than... Look, we have some events that are straight marketing events, right? When we launched in Pittsburgh, we had debate watch parties for the presidential election. We were just launching in Pittsburgh, and we just wanted to get people to know us. Those are easy. You just find a bar that wants 75 people to come watch a debate and eat and drink food. I mean, that's not too hard. But I do think you can... like to some extent you can scale them by building relationships with local bars and local restaurants places that you know and you know will take you if you have an event that you're trying to plan that you know 
need space for a hundred people and some half price drink tickets. And so it doesn't scale in the sense like you could do a huge event every week, but we've, we've probably done this year between the Denver's just getting started on, on doing more events, but between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, we probably did 60, 70 events this year. And it drove sixty percent of the revenue, and so sixty percent is events, and the rest, rest, is the rest is still advertising. Still so, ads. and a lot of the times we'll sell a sponsorship around an event that'll be attached to some advertising that'll run as part of that package, and we do some native, um, you know, some native network and and uh, Facebook audience, yeah, you know, all that stuff. But but selling ads on, on a local level has always been a bear. Yeah, it's a bear, and you know, we've been able to do it because we hired people from the local papers in those markets who had some relationships and were able to convert those into sales. But I, I do think going forward, like the question was asked earlier today, um, you know, what do you think your events percent, the percentage of your revenue for events will be in five years? And I want it to be 75. I don't want it to be 30. Yeah. Which is unusual. I mean, a lot of people, I, I, events are an interesting one because, um, you know, some people love events because the fact that you have a brand that can physically turn people um, mm-hmm. out in this day and age, I think means something. Um, but then other people, you know, always go back to the, right. oh, it doesn't scale, the yeah. costs are high. There's another part of this, though, too, which we, we've seen, you know, in Philadelphia, especially, and in Pittsburgh a little bit less, but it's getting started, is other people who have events who want you to use the platform that you have and the audience that you have to get word about their events out. So this is an event you're not buying food for, you're not buying drink for, you're doing none of the planning and incurring none of the costs, but you get paid by someone who wants you to figure out how to get 200 people to show up at their event. So it, that's the nice thing about having events, but also having a platform where you can mm-hmm. you can get people to go somewhere. So we, we've also made some pretty decent sales on literally just please get a whole bunch of people to show up at this event, like make it a sponsored thing in your newsletter every day, you know, put it in the stream as a sponsored event, but like just really hawk this thing so we can get people to show up and we will give you money if people show up. So that's the other side of events, which yeah. is less cost that's interesting. intensive. So local newspaper business has been um, in dire straits for quite some time. Um, what's the, what's the future there? I think the future is, I mean, the future is a little bit the same as the past getting smaller. I think there's eventually a floor somewhere where you can still make enough money based on the history of that brand and the relationships that you have to support a newsroom of some size. I but don't they've think got a cost. They, they still have a cost oh, structure. Yeah. That's brutal. Problem. Yeah. They have a cost structure problem. That's brutal. I mean, you know, it's, they went from 15 years ago having presses, which were literally the barrier to entry of anybody, any competitor. So they had monopolies and nobody could afford presses to compete with them and they had a great business. And then the internet just made the press and it was this antique, very expensive antique thing that now is sort of a burden on them from a cost structure. And it's amazing how fast it went from the thing that gave them the, you know, the, the, bus- the perfect business situation to this. But even outside of the infrastructure costs, um, the newsroom costs are still too high. I mean, no yeah. one likes to talk about it, but um, the fact journalists is, love to talk about it. I mean, well, <laughs> and I understand why. But yeah, we, we we are we are a little self interested in that. But uh, they got to get smaller, yeah. right? I mean, how does so Billy Penn? Let's take Billy Penn yeah. as an example. Is your first publication? How many? How big is the newsroom there? Seven. Seven. Yeah. So how big do you see it getting? I mean, if all goes, you know, I could see this newsroom getting up to 20 in five years or something like that. But I'm not looking at a but newsroom that's, that's 50 for a city the size of no, Philadelphia. It's not. But I do think that what you do see in Philadelphia, though, is you see all of these people popping up to replace parts of what 
wasn't being done as well. So technically Philly covers technology and the notebook covers public education. And there's a whole bunch of sites out there that are kind of biting off, you know, the 700 level cover sports. There's like a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things that are biting off parts of what the traditional newspaper used to cover. And if you assemble all of that, there's actually a fair amount of good journalism being done in Philadelphia. It's just not sitting under one title. So in it's one basically place. the deconstruction of the yeah. local newspaper and it's being, um, you know, it's being born in, in, in smaller slices. Yeah, I was using the Humpty Dumpty metaphor as sort of as in big, like it used to be this one thing and then it kind of fell and there's now there's all these pieces that are sort of, when assembled, kind of maybe they maybe don't replicate, you know, what the Inquirer was when it had a newsroom of 500, but that was a very unique financial, situ- you know, situation that's never going to Is that what the again. Inquirer was up to? I think so. I remember growing up, I mean, the Inquirer like had like someone in like Jerusalem and stuff mm-hmm. like this. And, yeah. and looking back on it, it's... It's nuts. I mean, and most papers, most big metro dailies had people overseas, a fair amount of people overseas. And, you know, the thing about newsroom size, which is fascinating, too, is I worked at the Washington Post for a long time. And one of the numbers I always quote people is at its height, the Washington Post, I think, had 1,100 in its newsroom. And now maybe it has 625. When they broke Watergate, they had 375. Like you can do, you can do pretty world changing work mm-hmm. with newsrooms that were not, not the size they were 10 years ago, but it's just about how you use those resources and, and, uh, how you use them wisely. And so you're not, I mean, how concerned are you? I mean, as, as a journalist that something will get lost in this, that, that it will not have the same kind of coverage that communities need, um, in trying to put this back together in slices. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I mean, it depends on which area you're comparing it to. If you're comparing it to like the late 80s, early 90s, they won't have that level of coverage. Again, although I would say that one of the, the real explosion of newsroom sizes in the 80s and 90s, a lot of that was around just expanding core coverage, but a lot of it was around launching new sections like home section and a health section and a travel section and yeah. things that really were revenue drivers. And yes, they had yeah, an audience and people read and them. Yeah, but they were not... The traditional, like that's not stuff you'll miss as much if it goes away because there's, you know, Eater and yeah. there's all these sites that cover those kind of sections. But who's going to cover the school board? Right. And, and that's what like I that. think. I think, look, I think as newspapers get smaller and smaller, those are going to be the, the last things they would possibly abandon. And there are still people covering school boards and city hall and water So do you think newspapers are going to retreat to their, their core competency of you know i mean ideally i would guess that the 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 best thing would be if they retreated to to you know holding uh, holding government accountable that's what i think we all hope for i think the question is what's the business model if that's what most of your newsroom is doing and you know and i think hopefully they don't drift away from that find a rich person yeah well it's not a bad one it's worked for a few people so far but no, I think that's that's really the conundrum, which is, yes, they're going to get smaller. Everybody recognizes that newsrooms are going to keep getting smaller for some period of time. The question is, like, where are you going to put your where are you going to stack your chips at some point? Like, what number are you going to put those on? Is it going to be city hall coverage? And are you or are you going to try to spread those chips out too broadly and not cover anything all that well, which I think is always the risk when, you know, I always call it my you know, cheap throwaway line on this has always been like, you can't do the digital comb over, which is to try to like, you know, put one person on all these things and act right. like you're covering what you used to cover. Like at some point, everybody recognizes that you're not covering what you used to cover and you've got to like, but what are the things that really are core to you? And if it's government covering city hall, then put like four people on that. Don't try to spread those four people out over things that are, are not as important. And I, I, I do sense a little bit of reticence from a lot of newspaper companies to like give up on major things, Yeah, but they're going to have to at some point. I call it like the burden of comprehensiveness. Yeah. Like being freed from that burden, no matter what your area is like incredibly liberating, gives you incredible flexibility. Um, So how, I mean, you don't have the burden of comprehensiveness uh, with something like Billy Penn. So which areas have you decided to try to 
own. Well, we do a lot of government coverage. Uh, we don't necessarily go to, you know, it's not going and covering every city council meeting, but we try to focus on city government in the context of sort of reaching a 40 and under audience. So a lot of things about public transportation, ride sharing, bike lanes. Like Uber is a big yeah. topic in, in these. A huge topic cities. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, so we cover a lot of those things that we feel like are interesting to that audience. So we'll cover marijuana laws and things like that, but we're not going to spend a lot of time like writing about pension you know, pension stuff going on in Philly because it's not really our audience. So we, we do try to at least filter through what we think people 40 and under would be interested in. But, you know, so we cover transportation, politics. We do a little bit of sports, a lot of our food and culture, since that's obviously interesting to the audience as well. So, but, you know, really any, I mean, we just look for stories we think are going to be interesting stories. We don't have to put it up against the context of, or we might trampling on somebody else's beat or is this who we are? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just do interesting stories. And if they're outside our normal range, so be it. And, and one of the other things that I think is interesting is that you've decided to build local brands. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you were mentioning earlier and yeah. as someone from Philadelphia, I, I forget that everyone doesn't know who Billy Penn is. Right. 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 Well, I think that was one of, one of the things I think we want Billy to Penn is William Penn. It's a statue on top of, uh, that's right. What is it on city hall? City hall. Yeah. So it used to be the high, when I was a kid, it was the, I don't know if it was a, uh, I don't know if it was a myth, but it was supposedly no building could be taller than, than the Billy. Penn Not a myth statue. at all. It's absolutely true. And then there was no law. It was sort of a gentleman's Liberty agreement. Was, was right. It was sort of a gentleman's agreement that no, nothing could be built taller than Billy Penn. Uh, and then one Liberty place was built, I think. Oh, yeah. And one Liberty place was taller and they just kind of ignored the gentleman's agreement and no Philadelphia sports team won a world championship for the next 30 years or something like that. And so finally, and oh, that's a larger, jinx that may be, that. but in 2007 when Comcast built its tower and it became the largest, uh, building in the city they affixed a little mini billy pen all the way at the oh, top okay. of the comcast <laughs> center and the next year the phillies won the world but Series. i digress but i mean you're trying to make you're trying to build brands instead yeah. of because i think one of the the many mistakes of like something like a patch or something like this was this industrialized yeah. approach to local and that's it it just doesn't work yeah no we really wanted to build local brands that we wanted to have names for the sites and we brought in denver later so it doesn't apply to this but we wanted to create names for the sites that you would re- immediately recognize if you lived in those cities or had been raised in those cities but like to the average person who does not know philadelphia or pittsburgh they go i don't get the name so we wanted it to have that sort of feel of like oh i'm in on i'm in on this i totally get the name mm-hmm. and develop their own logos their old brands um, and I think it was really now I'm not going to lie and say we didn't learn that lesson the hard way because most people who even, even people who were, who know a lot about Billy Penn forget that we actually had another name at first. We what actually was it? brotherly. Oh yeah. See, you're from Philly. So you hate it, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'll, but I'll tell you, but the reason I say that is because we announced, we got this, you know, we bought the domain brother.ly you know, outside of putting you in business with the Libyan government, which is always a little bit risky. <laughs> so it's a dicey proposition. It's a dicey proposition to begin with. But we put the name out on Twitter and we got all these responses from people who loved it. Then we got this whole subtext of people from Philadelphia who hated it. Because yeah, the it's city not, of brotherly nobody, love is nobody so refers to it, And nobody really says it in Philadelphia. It's like, you know, it's like somebody, a friend of mine finally got it through my thick skull that it was a terrible name when he said it. it's like somebody coming to, because I'm from New York. It's like somebody coming to New York and starting a site called BigApple.com. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh my God, is that right? Oh God, we can't, we can't keep that name. So we changed it and we've got Billy Penn and we launched, it was after, before we launched, we changed the name. So we never launched with that a horrible name, but it was a lesson of like, we got to give it, we got to do the opposite of what we did with this first name is we got to pick something that's very parochial and very much a thing that people in Philadelphia get the opposite of the 
touristy cliche. Right. Okay. So building a local brand that means something to to the people uh, who live there. Yeah. I guess under forty is. Is, is yeah, roughly. I mean, we, we, we were happy to have anybody reading us. But. Okay. Um, so more cities? Yeah, I mean, we'd like to be in more cities, I think. you know. What, what is your lens? I mean, you're looking for uh, highly urbanized, not spread out. Yeah. Yeah, I think we generally are looking for... A lot for, of young people. Right. Four things. It's like we have the kind of the four rule, the four check rule here, which is percentage of audience, or I'm sorry, population under the age of, of 40. Um, it's density of the city because if you're going to have a small staff, the more people who are packed into a tighter little piece of real estate, the more people you can reach when you're not trying to cover eight different suburbs. And so density is important to us, ad market and opportunity. And then fourth is just competition. And generally the fourth one is sort of a, not really much of a, because we're doing something different than the, the local papers are doing in pretty much every market. We're going after a different demo in a different way. So I don't look at a local newspaper and say that's automatically a competitor any more than I think they look at us and say it. So not being ad dependent frees you from doing all the awful things that um, ad dependent publishers. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when I mean, you go to local newspaper sites, I mean, they're probably the the best example of the worst of, of mm-hmm. digital media. In that it's <laughs> we used to. I, I had a friend who um, who uh, worked at a sandwich place on a boardwalk, um, and they were so bored when we were kids. They were so bored they played this game of how much mayonnaise could you put on a sandwich before people complain? <laughs> and the answer was quite a bit. Yeah. And I'm reminded of that when I go to local news sites. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're awful. I mean, and I get why they, I get why it happens, but it's like, I, I it's autoplay on autoplay. Yeah. And like, you know, you spend 30 seconds trying to figure out where the video is that's playing somewhere. You know, it's on that tab, but you got to find it on the page somewhere and you got pop-ups and pop-unders and interstitials and, I used to joke that using the sites at, uh, when I worked at Digital First Media and lost a lot of the battles around user experience, I felt like it was the, you know this is going to date me a little bit. But if you remember Get Smart, like Don yeah. Adams walking down the long hallway, and every time he thinks he's he goes through a door, there's like another door. That's <laughs> like what using our using websites is like. You think, all right, I closed this pop-up. Well, what were ad. those? What were those discussions about? I mean, because like people don't knowingly. I always said like people don't. Nobody like wakes up and is like I want to suck today. Right. It's all about revenue and, you know, and about meeting, you know, whether it's in privately or public company, but it's either meeting uh, boards, boards expectations or investors expectations or both. And so you got to, you know, you, you, you turn up the volume on the ads when you need to generate more revenue and who cares if you're driving readers off permanently. And that was always my frustration is just, you know, we just, as I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, our user experience is like we invite people over to our house we open the front door and we just punch them in the nose and then we like wonder why they didn't come back the next day. You know, a 20 second and load then time. Kick them in the nuts. And then yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that I, that used to be I used to use that example rather than the punching in the nose, but I think that was that was okay. a little that was a little bluer. <laughs> okay. But um but no, but it's, you know, why do we expect people to continue to come back? The problem is a lot of the people making the decisions about that aren't that concerned about whether they're still using the site in two years. They got a problem that's a, a They're quarter. trying to get to the next quarter. Right. They got a quarterly problem, not a lifetime problem. So like I get why it happens. I still hate it and I still think it's a bad idea to do it for the company long term. Mm-hmm. But that's the nice thing about doing this is we're not under that kind of pressure. So we don't do any of those things to How about subscriptions? Because that would theoretically 
free a lot of news media from these kind of pressures mm-hmm. that lead to to bad decisions. Yeah. I think I think that's certainly a model. We're going to do membership launching in uh, Denver next month, and then uh, Pittsburgh, and then Philadelphia in the subsequent months. And I think the idea there is not to block the site off and not to charge for content, but to like build off this event success we've had to do more events that are exclusive events where you're either in front of a person or in a place you can't get to normally. And for those, you're gonna we want you to be a you know a, a more formally attached to what it is that we do. Our events right now are all open to anybody who wants to come. Some are ticketed, some aren't, but. But we want to create this kind of group of events that's a little bit more of a of a exclusive thing, and you know we have some other things we'll roll into the package, obviously. But that's sort of the, that the, one of the main pieces of it. And what what percentage of the audience do you think you can convert to being paying members? I mean, in terms of the audience that we get from, you know, I think we'll get some people outside of Philly. But if you just isolate it in the audience we have in Philly, I think we're looking at hopefully five percent. Okay, um, and then ads. I assume you, you're going. Hopefully, you get more scale but with more yeah. cities and then you can run national Correct. campaigns yeah we're, we're not anti-advertising i just don't want it to be the thing right i just think it's a dangerous thing to have as your only model right um are you are you hopeful for the future of journalism you've spent your career in journalism yeah there's a lot of um there's a lot of negativity around it i still think it's the best profession it's a, yeah i mean I'm, yeah there's definitely things i'm nervous about around it obviously the economics being one of them i think uh you know like i've been on the digital side of things for 22 years and i've tried to innovate a lot of the as much as I can in many places I've worked, I'm still old school about some things that I think are getting broken down a little bit. I think the, you know, the last 10 years have been a real push on like the press's attempt to be objective and the press's attempt to stick to facts and stay away from more inflammatory stuff. That seems to be a battle that's being lost by the media right now. I think that's problematic. Um, what you mean with the Trump stuff? Yeah, I just think I'm, I'm still a believer that. And I think, and I think most of the people who run the New York times and the Washington post and, NPR kind of agree still that like there's plenty of room in this world for opinions and everybody's got one and there's no shortage of opinion journalism out there but there's sort of this bastion of people who go out and cover the world every day who who have tried to you know. well Twitter feeds that oh right? absolutely I feeds mean it. journalists will be the last people on Twitter yeah uh, <laughs> but they you know the veil is down on Twitter I mean that the level of well, the level of debate I wouldn't even say it's a level there's no debate anymore about anything everybody so just wants to just jump into a you know as I was saying you know, earlier when we were chatting, it's just like we've gone from a world in which if there was someone you disagreed with about politics, you sat down and had a chat with them. And now if somebody disagrees with you, the first thing they do is try to demonize mm-hmm. you and like invalidate your opinion because they're just trying to make sure there's fewer of you and more of them as opposed to like, how about just discussing the actual topic rather than, I think that's a little worrisome, but that's a broader social so issue, think, not just journalism. It would seem futures probably, I mean, look, it's everyone's future is a little bit cloudy, but New York Times, Washington Post will They'll figure it out. Well, they'll figure it out. What about the mid-size? You know, I think uh, I look at at, at Tronk mm-hmm. and where it right. goes to the name. But if if you look at those, that is a really tough model. Yeah. The Chicago Tribunes, even the L.A. Times, yeah. um, even here we're here like Miami Herald and stuff like yeah. this. No, that's the, the messy middle. Because I think the really small papers, and especially like you know the ones that have done I think better for a while, are weeklies. You know, they just, yeah. yeah. And then you have the really small papers that have a smaller distribution footprint and, you know, were never that big to begin with that are probably doing better now. But it's those mid ones that are tough, the Tribunes and the Globes and the Heralds and places like that, because they got really big in the 80s and 90s and have had to come almost all the way back, if not surpassed where they were before the boom. 
Um, and so, they have to, and they still have a ways to go. And those cities have, most of those cities have gotten larger and more complex in those 30 years and they have fewer people to cover it with. And that's why I think it's about choices. And I think like, I hear at a lot of conferences, I hear people saying, we just can't afford to do everything anymore. We've got to give up on some things. And I think some places are trying to do that. Others say it more than they mm-hmm. do it. But I think that's really the question is if you ask yourself the question, if I was given, because, and, and it's, this isn't realistic, right? Because morale is morale and you can't change what's happening on the ground. But like I look at, you know, in Philadelphia, you look at the Inquirer and you think like, man, if I had 200 people to cover Philadelphia, man, that would be awesome. But what would I do with those 200 people if I was starting with a blank sheet of paper? I wouldn't have six of them covering the Eagles. <laughs> you probably have 12 of them covering the Eagles <laughs> considering how much traffic they drive. But no, but I think that's, so. but that, that blank sheet of paper to sketch out how you would cover a city with 200 people is just not, it never happens because you used to have 400. So you're always in sort of the mode of trying to figure out how to continue to cover what we used to cover. You never mm-hmm. get to that blank sheet of paper. And it's an exercise that I, it would be great to see more people do. Like really just say, what if we, what if nothing we covered had to be covered? And we just literally right. said, how do we want to how do we want to apply these two hundred people to whatever we do? Well, that's the freedom of starting from scratch. Yeah, it is. It is. I have a slide in my presentation when I go to conferences, which is all the things that suck about being a startup, and the next slide crosses them all out and replaces them with the positives of being a startup, which is I can't cover everything, but I can cover anything. Right. right. I, I don't. I don't have a voice. I'm trying to like. I can make the voice whatever I want it to be. I'm not trying to like change a voice that's been set in stone for fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty years. So like, there's a lot of freedom that comes with it, but a lot of challenges. I mean, you know, it's easy to talk about what you're doing and make it sound like it's a swimming success. Like this is still hard. Revenue is still hard to generate. You know, getting people to really in the sea of options they have out there to like come to your site every day and like get build that loyalty. It's really hard. So I don't. I I sometimes hate when you go to conferences and people give this glowing endorsement of everything they're doing like it's it's all all winning and i got a 50 percent margin and none of that's true some general said about iraq it's all hard all the time and that's media yeah it is it is but it's you know we're both in it because we love it and you know we could have chosen other you know there's easier ways to make money let's face it (laughs) there are (laughs) but this one's really important especially local because well look look what happens when you know hurricane harvey happens and then the houston chronicle does a great job and then people are like oh my god what are we going to we're going to lose all of this um and then they get sort of go back to normal life yeah and i think people and i and that's why I've, i've i've never been a fan of paywalls and i think the problem with paywalls is it feels like uh it's a i mean if you really love the houston chronicle like i just i i can imagine like if if you did some kind of drive to get people to actually just give like donate money to keep things thing alive, it might work better than a paywall just because the paywall ends up being an annoyance for people. And if there was almost more of a, and it's clunky and it's right. And it's bad. There's ways around it. And of course it came down during the hurricane, yeah. you know, so whenever there's a huge story, the paywall immediately is yeah. taken down. Whatever the, the highest provider. demand is. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, we're going to, yeah, it's like on it's like a black Friday, just like deciding to like give everything away for free. <laughs> exactly. You know? So I just think there's like that there's issues with paywalls. I find messy, but these are huge institutions that have been around for a long time that are very well respected in those markets. And it just seems like you have to turn the, the, uh, revenue balance more toward the consumer and mm-hmm. away from the advertiser, I think. So final thing, you're skipping video. There's no pivot to video for the local. No, we do market. some video, but we are not pivoting to video. We don't even do enough. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's funny because, um, you know, as I said, I'm on the digital side for 22 years. I've tried to build a lot of, you know, get out in front of new technologies and new ways of doing things. And in some ways, like Billy Penn and the Incline are almost like, 
we're just going back now. It's, there's not a lot of fancy technology in what we're doing. We're just trying to actually like do good local journalism yeah. and make the user experience clean. But there's nothing really fancy. So you go to these conferences, like, well, what bells and whistles are you do? And it's like not that many. Right. But I think at the end of the day, like we've always, it's always supposed to be about the work that's at the base of what you're doing. And so that's what we're focusing on. We don't have enough people to do a lot of whiz bang stuff. So we couldn't pivot to video if we wanted to, and we don't want to. There's a certain freedom in that too, because you don't waste time on, on stuff that, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, we're not, you know, I get 15 vendor emails a week about like, we'd be a great partner for you. We can help you with ad optimization or whatever. And it's just mm -hmm. like, no, I mean, <laughs> Not because some of them aren't doing good work. There's a lot of people here doing really good work at yeah. this conference. But like, I don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with a lot of like, you know, a, a whole lot of vendor partners. And right. so it's nice just to be like, we just don't do a lot of these relationships. Sorry, yeah. you know. Whereas if digital first of the post, like you'd take the meeting and you'd listen, and there'd be four meetings, and you got kind of bogged down in a lot of that stuff. Here, it's just like can't do it. It's yeah. nice. It is. There's a there's many freedoms. Jim, thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, and we'll Brian. be back next week with a new episode.